0: Good morning. Whew. I haven't seen that, those testimonies in a while. That was filmed last year. Like, about to cry. <laughs> Getting wrecked. Thank you, Jesus, for the lives that have been transformed and are going to be transformed. And thank you, church family. You know, every year you guys have just been so generous, have really blown us out of the park, and we've been able to sponsor so many students and families and people, and it's been awesome. And that they become a part of your story you know, as you give, as you sow into their lives, like their fruit is your fruit. And um, it's exciting. It's it's like not manipulation. It's like the greatest opportunity is what it is. Has anyone ever just experienced like incredible joy to give before? Yes. Like, let us be a people that it's a joy to give, not, ma- not out of manipulation. Like, it's literally like the love-filled heart is like, oh, I want to be a part of that Lord. Oh Lord, I want to give to that. Oh Lord, I want to give to this. So Anyways, I digress, but thank you, Jesus, for the lives that are about to be transformed. Amen? And I'm also excited about baptisms. Baptisms coming up. You know, Jesus said, you know, go into all nations and and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit, and it's our joy as a church family. I loved our baptisms in the spring, and uh, if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to please be baptized It's such a powerful public declaration of our faith amongst friends, amongst family, amongst this church, uh, community, and and family, and uh, we're really excited for that. So, whew, let's pray. Jesus, I just, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your your love and your mercies that are new today and the ways that you've already transformed us for the ways you've already encountered us in worship for the ways you've already spoken to us today for the ways you've already met with us face to face and I just feel even as I'm praying like the Lord just inviting us those who are hungry those who are thirsty shall be fed their thirst shall be quenched Lord we come to you as a people who are hungry we come to you as a people who are thirsty we live in the great Absolute confliction of being a Christian, of being fully satisfied in you and absolutely unsatisfied and in need of more. Of being completely full with the kingdom of heaven and being absolutely bankrupt and needing you. And so Jesus, this morning, I just ask that you would encounter us, that you would speak to us through your words. God, I thank you that you have been speaking to us as a body, as a church family. And Lord, would you just continue to breathe on our hearts and speak to us in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, I loved, um, I loved my wife's message last week on trusting the process, trust the process. And as Jess said, we're Canadians, so we do not say process. It would be untrue and weird. And if you hear me say sorry, that's also something we do and leg and beg and tag and all of it. My youth have been laughing at me for 10 years about it. But I love this message, and I was thinking about how we have to both have trust in the process, trust that the process is doing what it's designed to do, that the process in in laying down roots, when we don't see something over the surface, we have to trust that the process is actually working, right? And then we have to have trust in God in the midst of process, We have to have trust that, Lord, when I don't see it, when I am in this season of waiting, when I am in this season where, where I can't see much above the surface, where I am in a root kind of season, an unseen fruit kind of season, how many have ever been in one of those, right? It's like, God, I have to have trust in you that you're good, that you're faithful, and that you're doing, that you're working all things for my good, as your scripture says you will do. And so I was processing on this and i was praying about this and i was saying lord what should i speak on this this weekend and i and i felt to speak on peace peace in the valley peace in the storm that 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 aspect of having trust in the process we also need to have the peace in the midst of that process we need to have the peace of heaven in the midst of our process because process doesn't always feel very good right Sometimes process doesn't look beautiful. Sometimes process hurts. Sometimes process is like, oh, God, this feels like a valley. This feels like dying. And we serve the absolute king, the prince of peace, right? And so I began to think about the importance of peace and how much we are in need of of heavenly peace. Peace. I'm like, Jesus, we need all that you got for us. We need your love. We need your, humil- your humility. We need your kindness. We need your faithfulness. And we definitely need your peace. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to read a story you may be familiar with of Jesus in a storm. Now, I've been impacted as a youth leader while you're turning there, you know, for as a youth pastor for almost ten years, that the things that even our students are facing, like they're intense. I was looking for these cards. We had them anonymously fill out to share some of the things with you, things they wish people knew. And it was things like, I wish my parents knew how much their fighting at home really affected me. I wish my parents truly knew how much I was struggling. I wish my parents, and it was all these types of like heavy, heavy things, and how much sometimes more us as adults and the things we're facing. So. We're going to read this story, Mark 4, verse 35. At this moment, Jesus is teaching to a crowd, and things are going pretty well. The crowd is so big that they're at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus has to get in a boat, almost create a stage, get on the boat, get in the water, and teach from the boat to this crowd, because the crowd is too numerous, it's too, too huge, and... After this, after he's teaching to the crowd for a little while, he also takes some time and he's sitting down with his disciples and he's teaching them things. And then we're going to pick up the story here. Verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there was also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and said to them, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I'm reading this and I'm like, I feel like surely, I mean, we're talking about the son of man, the son of God. Surely he knew the storm was coming. Just, just my assumption. The, I was looking it up. I was Googling it just out of curiosity. This, the, the travel across the Sea of Galilee should have been probably about two hours. And maybe even everyone knew it. Like the clouds were dark, but Jesus said, go. So we're going to go. And it's only two hours. So hopefully we'll make it in time. And, but Jesus says, go. So they're like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to follow you, Jesus. We're going to go across. And sure enough, a storm breaks out, terrifying storm. Furious winds, such furious winds that the waves are crashing into the boat and the the boat is becoming swamped. Is anyone like a sailor or does anyone love boats or anything? I had the privilege of sailing across one of the Great Lakes with my dad, which are notorious for some of the worst storms, and um, in a sailboat. And man, storms are crazy. It's scary sometimes. I've once been in a little hobby cat sailing vessel and this gust of wind came out of nowhere, and I wasn't mature enough in my foundations as a sailor to let out the sails quick enough, and we were flying, and it was fun until that boat toppled over, and we're swimming, and it's like thundering and raining, and we're like, I'm like naive trying to like pull the boat in by a rope, thinking I'm going to swim this boat into shore, and um, we made the newspaper, it was good times, and uh, (laughs) that town, it was a small town, I'm like, really, this makes the news? I don't know. And, um, but storms could be scary, right? Especially when these waves are coming over and crashing and the boats beginning to get flooded. Like this isn't fun anymore. Like Jesus, this isn't fun. And he gets up, of course, as they wake him, as they're terrified and he, he calms the storm and he says, quiet, be still. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this question, I'm like, if I was a disciple, I'm like, like anyone else? Is it just me? I'd be like, what do you mean? Why are we so afraid? What do you mean? Like, why don't I have faith? You, you were sleeping, man. You missed the storm. Like, the boat was getting flooded. The, the waves were crashing, and the wind was going nuts. It was terrifying, Jesus. And, and where was Jesus? Sleeping. Does anyone else wonder like I read this story and I'm like I wonder what w- would have happened if they didn't wake him. I don't know. Just just something I ponder but do you still have no faith? You know, I feel like this this statement from Jesus it's as if to say do you still not understand the one with you on the boat? Do you still not understand the power of the man sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat which by the way the back of the boat is the worst place to be in a storm it's the most rocky place and and Jesus was so confident in his place he was so confident in his safety he was so confident in his authority he was just sleeping through all of it and i love i I love this like Jesus i don't feel like he's being insensitive in questioning their the size of the storm, but he's saying, do you still not understand the one who, who, who stands among you or sleeps among you? Yeah. Do you still not understand the one, you know, the prophet Isaiah said he was speaking of our Messiah. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, the Prince of peace. Jesus wasn't concerned. He wasn't worried about his authority or his power or his life. I love how Bill Johnson words this scripture. He's like the reality of Jesus on the inside of Jesus was greater than the reality on the outside of the storm. Like Jesus understood the reality of the he- of all of heaven inside of him. And we go through storms, don't we? Don't we? <laughs> Sometimes life is not exactly going as we expect it. We're in process, like Jess said, process. And, um, and we're like, God, this is hard. This is hard, Lord. This is really hard. And to follow the man of peace, to follow the prince of peace, so many of us are married, are tied to this idea that following Jesus means no storms in the first place. We're tied to this idea that, we're married to this idea that to follow Jesus means life's going to be perfect, or that's how we think it should be sometimes, don't we? But Jesus never, never promised the absence of peace, I'm sorry, the absence of the storm, (laughs) but he did promise that he would be with us. And we blame our lack of peace on our circumstances. We blame our lack of peace on individuals, on our own busyness and calendars that we've most likely agreed to and set. Um, We we blame all sorts of things, right? Our storm sometimes. And I love, I heard Stephen Furtick say one time, he's not the, the prince of convenience. He's not the prince of comfort, but he is the prince of peace. And in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this word, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. First Peter four says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love this. Peter, it's like, don't be surprised. Like we've warned you this is going to happen. Don't, don't act like this is strange when the fiery trials happen. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, goes with us. And so, Psalms 23 says this, it says, y'all know this, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The transforming reality to follow Jesus is not the absence of storms, but it's the absence of loneliness in the midst of the storms. It's the fact that the king of all things, that the one who said, take heart for I've overcome the world, goes with us in the storms. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He's been with his people. He's never left our side. Like he is good. He's faithful. He is, he is with us. He is for us. And the, the source of our peace is not found simply in fixing circumstances. It's not found simply in fixing our busyness. It's not found simply in, in fixing necessarily people that are in our lives, but it's found in Jesus. He is our Prince of Peace, everybody. And wherever you go, you will find yourself there. And I bet you, you are better than anyone in your life at making trouble in your own life. I say that from my own experience. <laughs> and it's like, we still have to recognize that wherever we go, there, there will be storms, there will be trials, but he's with us. When I was, I think it was like grade 11 in summer, I was on a missions trip to Mozambique and we had the privilege of going to Uh, a very desolate area that had just experienced terrible floods and we had the privilege of going and bringing them food with Iris Ministries, my dad, one of my close friends and myself. And we went up to this place, drove a long way and began to hand out food. And at the end of this trip, there was another guy with us from British Columbia, this prophet. And um, he said, hey, I want to prophesy over you guys. And so he prophesied over me as a teenager and he said, hey, the Lord has he pro- I'm not going to get into all of it, but he prophesied this thing to the effect of the Lord has great plans for your life. And because of that, this is the line I remember he, God wants to build your character. And so I took that as a young man and I held that in my heart, like Mary. I pondered it and I was like, okay, Lord, I want all that you have for me and you want to build my character. So, okay, let's do this. And I get back that summer. And well, it was right, actually, it was before summer. But there was a summer job, this opportunity, my friends, some friends told me about, working for people with uh, exceptional needs, people with disabilities. And um, I got in the interview. It didn't pay very much, but I was like, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll hear what they have to say. And I just remember one line on the interview, and the line that made me accept that job, he said, it will definitely build your character. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> I was like, "Lord, the pay's not good. <laughs> Nothing about this sounds super fun, but serving your people and building my character is what you've called me to. So I'll say yes." And so I go and I work here. It's a summer camp, and we have guests that come, and you're either in one-to-one care or three-to-one care, depending on the needs, and you stay in the same room and take care of any and all their needs. And it, it, was, it was a lot for me as a teenager. My, I remember the first night I was there, I, I wept. I had an insomniac, was one of my three guests. And he refused to let me sleep pretty much for two weeks straight. But I remember that first night and, um, I remember crying, feeling so overwhelmed. Like literally the thought was, what did I get myself into? Lord, can't we find a different way to build my character? (laughs) And, um, so I finished that summer out and I'm thinking to myself, I am never going back. And the next summer they reach out to me and they say, Hey, we have a job for you. It's not the same job. You can come, we want you to come be a chaplain and you can, you can preach and you can do worship and you can do these things. And I was like, that's great. I'll do it. I like the organization. I love the people, but it was just really tough and overwhelming. And so I'm like, I will be a chaplain for, for sure. And, um, so I went and I did that until it came to this point where they're like, Hey Aaron, so listen, We're severely understaffed, and we need you to do your old job and carry on doing the the same job you are doing. (laughs) And uh, I don't know why I said yes, but I did. I wanted to help. But I came to this place where I was on the break of, like, an emotional breakdown, mental and emotional breakdown. I was so overwhelmed. Even doing the chapel thing, some of that was new You know, that's like for my age, that was a lot to like come up with this schedule every day and this plan and, and then taking care of guests as well. It's full. It was full on. And so I am at this breaking point and I remember going to one of my supervisors and I said, Hey, I need a minute. Could you take care of my guests? And I went out on this little hill called Devo Hill. They called it like devotional hill overlooking these rolling hills, long grass. I remember it. The wind was blowing it was dark, and I made one very severe mistake. I called my family, and all my family was on vacation together. Well, I'm, like, emotional <laughs> on the point of <laughs> an absolute breakdown. And so I called my family. My home is there. Everyone's there. I hear all their voices, and I'm like, I want to be there. And at this point, I am a wreck. And my family, being awesome believers, they, they prayed for me over the phone, and eventually we said goodbye, and I just broke and I wept before the Lord, and I cried out to God on that hill, and I said, Lord, I need you. I said, God, I need you. Like, I can't do this. I just—I literally remember it like it was yesterday because it was one of those like core memories, marking moments for my life. And crying out to him, literally weeping my heart out. And I wish I could tell you that the, the, the end of that story is that all of a sudden they, they found all the staff they needed, and nothing changed in my job or everything changed to my job rather, but nothing. That's not true. Everything stayed the same. I still had to do both jobs, but I experienced the power of Jesus in that, that night, in that moment, because I don't know what it was. I will never forget it, but from that moment forward, I had no anxiety anymore. I had no fear anymore. I had absolute perfect peace for the job jobs. It was like It was transforming that the Prince of Peace himself came and met with me. And this is now how I describe like the peace that surpasses all understanding to people. In Philippians verse four, uh, chapter 4, that like when my understanding, when my natural man has every reason to have a lack of peace, when I'm in the midst of a storm, when I'm in the midst of the prison and everything's rough and tough and horrible and hard and overwhelming, for whatever reason I'm at peace. That is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And that is the peace that we have access to as believers. That we can access him, we can access his peace, we can access all that he has for us in the midst of whatever we're going through. And I'm telling you, you know, your situation may look dark, your situation may look dire even today. You may be in the midst of a storm, the waves might be crashing and the wind might be howling and your boat might be flooding, but there is a man who sleeps on the boat, who is among you, and he has power to calm every storm, and he has power to take you through every storm. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear nothing. We will have peace, for he is with us. And so I want to charge you this morning to cling to him, to remain In him to call on his name. We're going to read one another story here involving a storm. Matthew chapter 14 verse 22. Says Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Love that. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, "Truly you are the son of God." Now I look at this story and I'm like, everything was going so well for, for Peter. Like he was standing in the miraculous. He was doing something unheard of. He he was walking on water with the son of God. But he made one very important mistake. Here in this story, he took his eyes off Jesus and he put his eyes on the storm. And all of a sudden he became aware, not of the fact that, wait a second, I'm doing something impossible, not of the second, look, I'm hanging out with my teacher, my rabbi, my Messiah on the waters, but look at the size of the waves. Look at the, look at the wind. This is terrifying. This is working now, but for how long I'm going to die? And he begins to become afraid. And, of course, Jesus, again, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, when you're sailing, when there's no land in sight, you have to trust in your foundation as a sailor. You have to trust in your instruments. You have to trust in your teaching. You have to trust in your foundations, especially through storms. You have no idea necessarily where you're going, but you have to look to your instruments, and you have to trust. You have to have faith, especially in those moments, those rough seas, you can't panic. You can't forget what you learned, like me on my sister on that boat when we flipped that thing over. But you have to remember everything that you've been taught, your foundation. You have to have faith in it. There's an aspect of, of faith and trust and foundational knowledge. Y'all with me? And how often is our, is our lack of peace simply faith in the wrong thing? How often is it that we've taken our eyes off of Jesus? We forgot to have faith in him. We forgot to have faith in the one that brings peace and we put our faith in the storm. We took our eyes off of Jesus and, and we, we, we don't trust him in the outcome anymore. We don't trust him to work things for our good. We don't trust him to turn it around. We don't, we don't trust him to to do what he's best at doing and make beautiful things out of ashes, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, don't look at the storm. Look at the storm walker. Look at the storm calmer. Look at the storm napper. Look at the one who has authority over all things. Look at the one who sits among you. Look at the one who's placed all power and authority in heaven inside of you. Look at the fact that the same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. The overcoming spirit of God. Yeah. And when you encounter the man of peace, when you have a revelation with the man of peace, like I did as a young man working those two jobs, overwhelmed, all of a sudden the storms aren't scary anymore. All of a sudden it's like you're, you're healing the sick. You're casting out demons. You're, you're walking on water. You're, You're feasting at banqueting tables before your literal enemies, as the scripture says. Like, you're doing all sorts of incredible things, impossible things, because you understand the authority of Jesus in you and with you. And he's not withholding from you, everybody. He is not withholding from us. There was one last story I wanted us to read. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. This story picks up with Paul and Silas. It says, once when we, Paul and Silas, were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, "'These men are servants of the Most High God "'who are telling you the way to be saved.'" And she kept this up for many days until finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, "'In the name of Jesus Christ, "'I command you to come out of her.'" And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities And they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded, Guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. this is the best part. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They had no choice. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed and fell before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out asked, and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. When you know the man of peace, the prison becomes a place of worship. Paul and Silas, they weren't looking at their wounds. They weren't licking their wounds. They weren't feeling sorry for themselves, clearly. They were in stocks. They were probably hungry at this point. They were looking at their chains. They were looking at the bars. They weren't looking at their scenarios or circumstances. They were looking to Jesus, their Savior. And they just worshipped. And as we worship, as we encounter him, he brings his perfect peace. He brings his miraculous. Like, look the way this story ends as the chains are broken. And it's an opportunity for this jailer and his whole family to be saved and come to know Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, we can't force it to happen. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. We can't force that to happen, but we can come to Jesus and ask Him. Personally, over this week, I'm going to be honest, I had two opportunities to practice what I preached. And as these, these tough circumstances were happening, I literally thought of my message and I'm like, okay, Lord, this is the perfect moment to practice what I'm <laughs> preaching. And I was digging deep, everybody. At one point, I, I put myself in my office. I turned off the lights. I put on worship music, and I just begin to pray. And I said, Jesus, I need your peace that surpasses all understanding like you did for me way back then. I need it today again. Would you come and would you fill me with your peace? And when we encounter him, he sets so much that is wrong, right? He said so much that is broken, he fixes it. He makes it new. He makes it never the same. And for me, you know, in the midst of these storms, in the midst of the hard valleys, in the midst of the, the times when I'm in horrible process and it sucks and it hurts, it's an opportunity to, to draw near to him. And this is the charge that if you are in a valley, if you are in a storm, if you are in walking through a valley of a shadow of death, that to draw near to God, draw near to him. Obviously there's wisdom and there's times the Lord tells us to change things about our lives. And I could even give you human ideas, you know, get exercise, get sleep. You know, there's some great practical things that could help you in your life. But if, if we're not also encountering him, if we're not also encountering his presence and letting his peace rule in our hearts, we'll find the trouble creeping back in. And so he is, he is here today. For me, it's, it's simple. It's like find a quiet place, pray, worship. I love to pace and just worship and pray. Is anybody a pacer in their prayer room? Is that just me? Yes, I got a couple. I'm like, Jesus, I need you. And um, get real with him. Really be honest with the Lord. Weep if necessary. Tell him exactly how I feel and let him draw near to me. You know, it's an opportunity for him to be closer to you than ever before. For him, it's really precious, I believe. And um, I want to ask, I want to ask us to stand. And we're gonna do something a little different. We're gonna do something we actually do at youth camp. You're gonna get a little taste. I want you to find a place in this room. You could stay where you are, you could go to the side, you go to the back, you go to the front, where you can just be with you and the Lord for a moment. You can be right where you are too, it's fine. And I want us just to take a moment and just close our eyes to allow ourselves for another few minutes, not to be distracted by those around us. And it's simple. There is an invitation for us as a church, as believers, to be a people of daily encounter with Jesus. And there are those in this room, I have no doubt, like myself, that are facing things in their lives. They're facing storms. They're facing trials. They're facing tribulations. Those fiery trials, so it says not to be surprised about. And you need, you need a touch from God. You need some peace. And so I want us just to to be mature believers for a minute and just to practice between you and the Lord just begin to commune with him. Start off just by being honest with the Lord about where you're at. Just tell him the truth. Lord, the truth is and then just be super honest. Truth is, works. <laughs> work really sucks right now. The relationship between me and my boss is <laughs> ragged at best. The relationship with my wife and my kids is is terrible. I didn't get the grades I was hoping for. I didn't get the promotion I was wanting. I didn't get the, the home I was hoping for. Now I feel priced out of the market. Whatever it is, just... Whatever you feel like is the storm for you, just be honest with the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 12, right after that passage we all love, in verse 11, it says, seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I used to hold on to that as a a teenager and I still hold on to it to this day. The promise of Jesus is as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He's already here. And as we're, we're taking this moment to be honest with the Lord, just tell him, just be honest again. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you in my circumstance. I don't put my faith in an outcome, but I put my faith in you. I don't put my trust in the storm, but I put my trust in you. And these are not weak prayers, everybody. They may be quiet prayers, but they are powerful, earth-shattering, mountain-moving, earth prayers as we simply say, God, would you intervene on my behalf and would you bring me a peace that surpasses my understanding? For those that have lost loved ones, for those that have lost homes, have lost jobs, I just feel like I see this picture of Jesus walking amongst the rows, walking amongst the building and just laying his hands on us and imparting his perfect peace. just for another minute. Let's just begin to worship in our, in our prison like Paul and Silas. <laughs> I just want to take one more moment before we close. If you're in this room and you are like, <laughs> I, need, I need help. I'm, I can't even get through this on my own. That you are surrounded by family. You are surrounded by a body of believers who is, we're here to exhort and love and support one another. And if you, need, if you need any additional prayer this morning, if you need somebody to lay hands and stand in the gap and be in faith for you, that I'd love to invite you to come to the front and, and receive prayer. Well, we bless you, and I want to I just speak over this church that we, may we be a people who walk the path of peace, who walk the path of perfect God-breathed peace. God, we know that peace doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it means you're with us. So will we be a people that walk in your peace. In the name of Jesus.